The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for what you need to know to get on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. And welcome to our brand new listeners at WLHS in Westchester, Ohio. Um, For those of you who are finding us for the first time down there at the end of your dial, Real Life Real Estate is a weekly program that also has a very cool podcast up on iTunes. So if you like what you hear today, there's, gosh, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of previous Real Life Real Estate investing programs on our podcast on iTunes, and we're glad to have you. Today we're going to be talking about the Jobs Act, the uh, pseudo new getting getting elder more elderly by the day uh, law that may allow us as real estate investors to do something that we have not been able to legally do in the past, which is advertise for money. So stay tuned. First, we got to do a couple of quick announcements. The Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati meets tomorrow evening at the usual location corner of Reading and Seymour at the Community Action Agency building. The 6 p.m. early workshop. Uh, If you are a new investor, you can listen to Jerry Fink talk about Intro to Ugly Houses, How to Make Money Wholesaling and Retailing Properties. The Active Investor Forum is a tenant retention workshop run by Mr. Jim Shapiro. Uh, He will be uh, encouraging all the folks who attend to share your best tenant retention ideas and We'll be putting together a list for attendees of nonprofit organizations that can be called upon to pay a month's rent for a tenant in an emergency situation. The 730 main meeting is an Ask the Expert panel. It will be manned by the leaders of the various RIA GC subgroups. So the Landlording Subgroup, Wholesaling Subgroup, Westside, Dealmaker Forum, Advanced uh, um luncheon. Uh, Those folks have a lot of expertise and they will be available simply to answer your questions. So you can get your own important queries taken care of and also learn by listening to what your fellow investors have to ask. It is sure to be a very interesting and audience-driven meeting. Again, that's the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati. You can get more information at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's Cincinnati, R-E-I-A.com. Or you can uh, simply show up at the meeting tomorrow night at 6 o'clock at the CAA building at the corner of Reading and Seymour 
avenues. My guest today is Jillian Sedoti, who is an attorney specializing in what she euphemistically calls transactional legal matters. In other words, she helps people put together those things that you need to legally raise money, like private placement, memorandums, regulation, defilings. She also works with trademarks, copyrights, non-disclosure agreements, contractual matters. Um, prior to becoming a lawyer, she was much cooler. She actually owned and operated a record label that had her traveling all over the United States. Not that she's not still super duper cool. And joining us by phone from her home in Temecula, California is Jillian Sidoti. Jillian, welcome to her life real Hi. estate. <laughs> How are you? What a wonderful introduction. I, I hope I'm as cool as I used to be. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm sure you're cooler because now not only are you into the music scene, you can also explain this stupid jobs act to us. Um, yeah. <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> I got a flurry of emails from like every guru who who talks anything about raising money or uh, private money, anything like that, uh, saying the SEC has lifted the ban on general solicitation and and now we can do all the things that that you know some of these gurus have been telling us to do all along, even though it was illegal. And I know this has been a big topic of discussion out in the real estate investing and fundraising world for for really more than a year now. And I want to just sort of straighten out what has actually happened here for our listeners. So let's let's start with the big picture of what was the job acts and jobs act and what was it intended to do? Okay. So the Jobs Act was really started because of crowdfunding, and there were companies out there like Prosper.com and LendingClub.com and, and, and a couple of other, ProFunder being another one, where these entrepreneurs were going onto their websites and, and looking for money, and Prosper and ProFunder and all these, these groups were putting together these, these offerings under, um, and I don't want to get too technical here, but they were trying to put these offerings under a certain rule where they could do general solicitation and they would sell the securities through their web portal on behalf of these entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And they would sell notes, specifically notes. And it, it, was, it, was, it was a pretty good plan, but it didn't last long. And the SEC caught on to it and said, no, 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 we don't like this. You can't do this. But a lot of uh, these companies and, and their followers started you know, lobbying Congress because they said, well, the access to capital for little guys is really not very good, and the access to good investment opportunities for the little guys is not very good. You know, hedge funds are only taking in big, huge investors. Hedge funds are getting all the good deals, and they're not really even, you know, truly financing startups. So all these folks got together, lobbied Congress, and got this bill called the Jobs Act, which is stands for, and it's not the American Jobs Act. Those are two different acts. There's the Jobs Act, which is what we're talking about today, which stands for the Jumpstart Our Business Startups Act. Now, just to give you a little perspective, though, this was introduced to Congress in January of 2012 and passed and was signed by the president in April 2012. And if we know anything from watching the news and watching history and watching how Congress and the Senate and the president work, they usually don't work harmoniously. (laughs) 
And, and they usually don't pass things very quickly, especially if there's any amount of controversy or any big sweeping changes. So what I'm trying to tell you is, you know, the Jobs Act does not provide these huge sweeping changes that everybody thinks that they provide. There's going to be some great things to come out of it. Do not get me wrong. But this latest and greatest thing is not one of them. <laughs> um, so it passed in, October, in April 2012, and now fast forward, and the FCC in, now in July 2013 is just starting to come out with some of the rulemaking for these these new laws. And, 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 and you're probably wondering, well, why isn't it just law? You know, if, if, if Congress and the president says it's okay, then we should just be able to do it. Yeah, but somebody has to implement the law. And that the body that has to implement that law is the Securities Exchange Commission. So they have to make up their own internal rules on how it's going to be implemented and carried out. And that's what the delay is on all of this stuff. And mm-hmm. so they just finished one small portion of it, and that's what everybody's been getting all these emails about. And so I got a lot of those emails, too. And then I also got a lot of emails and phone calls from people going, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I'm ready to start. I'm ready to start fundraising. This is great. Tell me what I need to do. And it's been literally me picking up and hanging up the phone going, no, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, you're wrong. No, that's not right. No. And so I sent out my own very sarcastic email (laughs) telling people how, no, this doesn't really work the way you think it does. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and and if you want, I'll go I'll go a little into that because probably what you had mentioned, Vina, is that everybody can. And I want you to answer ask me this question. I want you to ask me, can I advertise my securities now? Please, just go ahead. And 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 I'm going to do that just as soon as we take a quick break. <laughs> I'm also going to invite listeners who receive some of these emails and and, and may feel like they know some things that they might be disappointed to find out they don't know, to give us a call. If you're in the greater Cincinnati area, dial 772-9658. If you are listening to us online outside of our area here, call us toll-free at 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, where my guest today is attorney Jillian Sidoti of the law firm of Jillian Sidoti out in California. Uh, Jillian has specialized for the last few years in working with uh, sort of the on the street real estate investor to legally raise money for purchase and renovation of real estate and purchase of notes and things like that and uh, is talking to us today about the JOBS Act and the new ruling that apparently just set the internet a Twitter yesterday. Um, now, Jillian, b- uh, before we get into what the ruling actually says, I think there's a definition here that we need to explain. You keep saying general solicitation. Right. And that's a really good lawyer term. What does it actually mean to those of us who want money to buy real estate? It means advertising, essentially. You know, a lot of times you probably are out there on in Facebook or Twitter or Craigslist or looking at the classified ads, if anybody does that anymore, of your local newspaper, um, and seeing things like, I'm looking for investors. I need investors. I'm offering 8% return on investment. And believe it or not, that's actually not legal. You can't generally solicit 
mm-hmm. and go out to the masses or the public or even to your local Rio group and get up in the middle, uh, you know, in front of the room and say to everybody there, I am looking for investors who wants to invest with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and, all of those. And what about ahead, what about what about um, finding private lenders out in the public record where we can see that okay. somebody somebody loans somebody else some private money and sending them a postcard? What about that? Well, it depends on what the postcard says. I generally speaking don't recommend that you you do that because um, first of all, those people usually are, are are used up, and I say that in the most clean terms possible, I suppose. Uh, they, they, they've been solicited to so many times. They've been, they've received your letters before, <laughs> but maybe just not from you. They've received them from somebody else. So from, from a practical point of view, it's, it's, not, it's not effective. From a legal point of view, it depends on what your letter to them says. If your letter says, I'm looking for you to invest in my deal, that can be considered a, a general solicitation, especially if you sent it in mass, um, where you sent it to several or more than one private lender mm-hmm. in the count in the county record, you do not have a pre-existing relationship with them. You're you're basically cold calling them through mail, and mail is pretty dangerous as it is because that's a a channel of interstate commerce, and there's all kinds of issues with that as well. So. I won't get into the technicalities of it, but in other words, I don't necessarily recommend it. If you want to educate, you know, people on that list about what you're doing and who you are and what you're up to, great. But don't don't be asking for money from people you don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what about uh, another common thing that we hear, which is uh, uh, sending out postcards to people who have certificates of deposit? We bought a list, and people have certificates of deposit, so we know they're getting very bad returns, and we're just inviting them to lunch to tell them how they can get better returns on their investment. Okay, so you invite them to lunch. Great. Then what do you tell them at lunch? Again, this goes back to, like, what are you actually saying to them? Are you talking to them about the better returns that exist in the real estate market and that they want to explore opportunities in the real estate market? Or are you telling them that you have great returns and that you invite all of them to get their CDs liquidated and give their money to you in that in that meeting? And that's, that's where the difference lies. I mean, those luncheons are the, the, the like a hotbed because securities – you know, regulators love to go to those because they, A, get free lunch, and B, they nab you in person. So so I don't recommend inviting a bunch of strangers into a room just to ask them to give you money. That's a bad idea. Okay, so a general solicitation, despite the fact that it sounds like we're taking out a billboard by the highway, can be any sort of verbal, written, video, audio, come on, making an offer for an investment. So if I say, hey, I do this business, and by the way, I pay 8% on people's money, right. that's a general solicitation. If, if I'm saying it to a stranger or saying it in in some format other than, oh, Jillian, I know you personally, and you're my you know aunt, yeah. <laughs> and I know you've got a million dollars. Right. Right. And, 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 and that's where that's where it, it comes into play. You have to, before you can make an offer, before you can give any, like, substantial details about what you are up to. Uh, you have to have what's called a establish a, a pre-existing relationship with the potential investor. And that that is a really weird term. It gets misinterpreted all the time. I've heard a bunch of different people tell me a bunch of different things on what they believe a pre-existing relationship 
is. It's not very well defined in the law. It is here in California, and it's something that I think you all want to use across the board, and I can see the SEC adopting it, especially in this latest Jobs Act ruling. And what a pre-existing relationship means is that you have intimate awareness of one's financial ability to invest. That is the legal definition. Intimate awareness of one's financial ability to invest. So if you don't have that ability, if you don't have that awareness, if you will, then you don't have a pre-existing relationship and therefore should not be making an offer for somebody to invest with you. Um, So, Vina, if we didn't know each other, the way this would work is like this. If you came to my luncheon, I would say, Vina, did you know that you could make a lot more money in real estate than if you had money in a CD? And then you would say to me, really, do you know of anywhere that I could get such opportunities? Now, notice I didn't say anything about my own opportunities. And I would say, I might, but I have to know a little bit more about you first. And I would hand you an investor qualification form and then qualify you as a investor who had the financial ability to invest in any deal that I had. And and, and I don't think we have all the time. We definitely don't have all the time in the world on, on this show, but the, the – then you would go through some steps there where you would verify that this person is somebody who can invest with you, and 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 then you can move forward telling them, I'm offering 8%, I'm doing this. But you do have to take these, these steps are really, really important, and they're not just really important so that you don't get caught type of stuff. It's also really important because this is the paper trail you're leaving in case anything goes sideways, in case that investor is not very a very good investor in the first place. And... One thing I always tell my clients is that money is green, and all of you out there in Radio Land may believe this or not, but it's true. Money is green, and you can get money almost anywhere. But the quality of the person who's giving you money is what is really most important because you do not want investors who are going to tie up your business with silly questions, silly requests, or silly litigation, and probably the third one being the most important. So you really need to vet your investors just as much, if not more, as they are going to invest it, vet you as a issuer, as a company, as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, one last thing, and then we can actually get around to the Jobs Act. <laughs> <laughs> what it said. Uh, just I, I, trying to give everybody some background because I mean, when you start talking securities to people uh, in real estate, they, they flip their brains off because they know. say, I'm not, I'm, I'm not in the securities business. I, I don't I don't know why a show called Real Life Real Estate Investing even has a securities attorney on you know, it. I, I, I want to even speak to that because, um, you know, I was in the position that everybody who is listening and, and is saying that was at one point in time when I was... In law school, I decided I was going to get into real estate. I, I never had these real huge aspirations, of course, of ever being in a courtroom or anything like that, and I never was. Um, but I knew sometime when I was in law school that real estate was where it was at. So I got into real estate, started doing real estate. We did condo conversions in San Diego, and there were just deals everywhere. There's always deals to be had. There were sellers or, or, or other developers who were in trouble, and they needed our help, but we didn't have enough money. So we started going out and looking for investors. And I said to a mentor of mine, 
another securities attorney, Gene Trobert, I said to him, oh, yeah, I was in his GCIM class. I said, oh, yeah, we're out looking for investors now. And he said to me, well, what kind of documentation do you have for those investors? And I said, what kind of documentation? None. <laughs> Why do I need documentation? He goes, well, you're selling a security. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you are. And I literally, and, and we, I, I went through the same education that you're going through you know, right now or, or in your business, because I, I didn't even know at that time that looking for investors to invest in my real estate deal was the sale of a security. And I, boy, did I get an education. Um, and, and thank God I did, because it turned into a whole career for me. And, and so I understand where you're coming from, where you, you can't quite wrap your head around this fact that, oh my gosh, I'm entering to this whole another body of law. And I had no idea I was doing it. But you are. Mm-hmm. Because a security is, if there's an investment of money, if there's a common enterprise, which means that there's a commonality between all the investors you take in. So if you have one investor per property, I hear that all the time. The commonality is you. You've <laughs> created a common enterprise by having more than one investor, period. Mm-hmm. So in, in a common enterprise with the expectation of profits, most of your investors, of course, are going to expect profits through the efforts of a promoter. You're the promoter. You're doing the work. You're managing the whole business. Your investors can't come in and take over and take control. Of course, you don't want them to do that. The whole reason why you have investors is so they're passive and you can you can get the job done. And so if you meet all of those elements, those four elements, then you're selling a security no matter what you call it. You could sell them the, the title of the property itself. You could entitle the entire property to them but if you're maintaining control and dominion over that property and what it does and how it profits, then mm-hmm. you're selling a security. Mm-hmm. And that that message right there is the one that I think is hard to get through to people because they don't want to hear it. As no. as recently as this last weekend, I am still seeing gurus on the stage in big conferences saying when you get a private loan on a piece of real estate, it's not a security because, and the, the most common reasons are you only have one lender or it's backed by a, a, a note and mortgage or, or, or. And I mean, those are all things that I assume their attorneys are telling them as well. <laughs> and, and, then, and then they try and say, well, and because it's not a security, it's okay to send out postcards saying that you'll uh, pay 12% rate of return. So it's, it's just one incorrect thing built on another that I would rather hear <laughs> than what you're saying, which is like, I, I can't really do any yeah. of this stuff without uh, closer relationships with these folks than uh, most people have with their private lenders before they start borrowing money from them. We need to take another quick break. When we come back, we will talk about this new Jobs Act rule and whether it does, in fact, allow you to do mass mailings to people all over the country asking them for money. We'll also take your calls at 877-772-9658 or your emails at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. We're talking today to attorney Jillian Sidoti. No relation to Nick. I know someone's going to send me an email saying, is <laughs> Nick's daughter or something? Uh, we're talking about securities, money raising, and the big deal with the new Jobs Act rule. And uh, so, Jillian, I was, I was actually just flipping through my email inbox and the titles 
of these emails are are super exciting. Um, ban lifted on general solicitation. SEC lifts ban on general solicitation. Advertise your securities offerings. This is awesome. I'm so excited. That's not what happened, though. No. No. I haven't had one client of mine who's called that can actually take advantage of this. The whole reason why this is the first, the whole, okay, let me back up. Sorry. I get very excited. I get very (laughs) excited about misinformation. (laughs) Um, The whole point of the Jobs Act in the first place was for the crowdfunding. The first thing we talked about with the ProFunder and the Lending Club and all these places that were trying to help these small entrepreneurs and then lobbied for it. Unfortunately, what ended up happening is that these big hedge firms got involved and broker dealers and stuff like that. And they and they pushed portions through and got the rulemaking done on the portions that were most important to them. And that part is what we're seeing right now. The lift on general solicitation so that you can advertise your securities is only for those issuers, for those companies, for those entrepreneurs that are looking to raise money from what are called accredited investors. Those are the only type of people who can invest in your deals. So unless you're planning on plopping yourself into the middle of Beverly Hills, California, or Manhattan, New York, or name some other wealthy location, South Beach, Florida, you are probably not going to benefit from this rule because if you want to take in investors, all of them have to be super wealthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Period. So, so, so now... If I have a certain kind of, of private placement, we have to start there. I can't just say, oh, Vina wants to borrow money, I gather. Right. I have to have a certain type of private placement, which, which you know, costs a five-figure sum of money to get set up. Mm-hmm. Then I can, I can go and take out a Facebook ad that says, hey, I'm paying 6% interest to right. qualified investors. But if some guy with 20 grand calls me up and says, I want to give it to you, I, I, can't, I can't take you that. Can't take <laughs> I, I can't take that. You know, usually wealthy people are trolling Facebook for mm-hmm, good mm-hmm. real estate investments. Oh, I know that's where I where I look for all of my investments. <laughs> you know, on those ads on the side. You uh-huh, know, they want uh-huh. to, <laughs> that's usually where they find the, the greatest deal. Yeah, so you can see it's not even, not only is it not helpful, it's not effective. This is just a, a thing for hedge funds to make it easier for them to get the word out. Um, that's all because they're already interconnected and now they don't have to have an established pre-existing relationship. They just have to verify at the time of investment that the investor is an accredited investor. And then they even have to do steps with that by verifying with their tax returns or having a CPA or an attorney sign off saying that, yes, this investor makes this much money a year or has this kind of net worth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So unless you have, I believe it's a 506 offering, Mm-hmm. And <laughs> because 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 with that one you you know you can set it up so you can only work with credit investors you couldn't take anybody else's money under under your own private placement no, no matter what nope. and no matter you what. turn down money from anybody else who happens to reply <laughs> to right. your uh, to your uh, general solicitation then this is a good thing for you but right. that's right. <laughs> for the for the for the rest of us it's not so much of a of a big deal now the other interesting thing that this has has put into place that that you just alluded to it used to be that 
an accredited investor was an accredited investor because they said they were an accredited investor. <laughs> they checked boxes on your form that said, yep, I, I'm worth more than a million dollars, excluding my personal residence, or yep, I make $200,000 a year and intend to continue to do so, and they were accredited. Now there is some additional burden on the part of the person taking the money to actually check. See if, right. see if they are accredited. No, they have to check. No, they absolutely, absolutely have to check. And, um, you know, it, it's uh, it's kind of, it is a burden. And I don't know many people who want to give perfect strangers their tax returns. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's not, it's not helpful to the little guy. It's, the whole point of the Jobs Act was to help the little guy, and this portion of it does not help the little guy at all mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on any level. Now, interestingly, a big, a big chunk of the, of the goal of the Jobs Act was, theoretically, <laughs> to help the little guy. I mean, the, the term business startup is the BS in Jobs Act. Wow, I think I just coined a term there. And... Um, nothing that has come out so far, and again, we are, what, 18 months into this process now, nothing that has come out so far has at all changed these really very burdensome and strange regulations that are on the person in Cincinnati, Ohio, who needs to borrow $25,000 from a private lender to buy and fix a property. Are we ever going to see that out of the JOBS Act? Well, Okay, we're supposed to, but I don't know when it's going to happen. The, the Jobs Act did about four things. Um, and the thing that's probably most important to your listeners is the crowd, actually the crowdfunding aspect of it. Because hopefully there will become a day where if you have just a small property you want to finance um, and you want to borrow some money from a couple of investors at 8%, you can go to a crowdfunding portal website such as ProFunder or one of those sites say, I'm looking for this money for this particular deal, here's all the details, and ProFunder will come out and get that that deal financed. It's got to be less than a million dollars, and no one can invest more than $10,000. But for a lot of the smaller investors who are out there just buying one you know, single-family flip at a time, that's all they need. Um, so so that will be extremely helpful, and you can get your, your deal crowdfunded without having – to go to an attorney to write you up a big, huge private placement memorandum and, and spend lots of money doing that kind of stuff. Um, and, and you will have a, a level of general solicitation because then you can say, go check out my crowdfunding opportunity on um, ProFunder or, you know, realestatefunder.com or whatever it might be and, and, and have people, have your friends and family or even complete strangers fund your, your deal. Mm-hmm. Now, Excuse my sounding cynical about this, <laughs> but when you say what what the crowdfunding thing will allow you to do is will it will allow you to go to great big companies and pay mm-hmm. them to raise money for you, right? That still doesn't sound to me like it's something that's really meant to help either the little borrower or the little investor to make money. Yeah, well, there's a reason for that, and 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 I kind of agree with this. And somebody brought this up to me, is that there's there, you know, Florida, the state of Florida. And I'm not picking on anybody from Florida. Is is full of scam artists and boiler rooms and and things like that. 
And what could happen is if people are left to their own devices without any kind of regulation, and I'm going to I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. If they have if they're left to their own devices and they don't have any regulation whatsoever, then these people in these boiler rooms could say, "Hey, I got an idea. Each of us will put a deal up on you know Profunder or wherever." And I'm not picking on Profunder, but I'll, we'll put a deal up on Profunder and we'll say we're raising a million dollars for this fake business, and then we'll just make five million dollars because the five of us will each get a million dollars, and then we'll never pay the investors back, but we'll just make five million dollars. Mm-hmm. And that could very well happen without any kind of regulation. Mm-hmm. Now, what Profunder has to do, Profunder has an obligation to register the security. So the Profunder is doing all the heavy lifting for the little guy. They're, they're listing it for them. They're, they're making sure it's legally sound. They're doing the due diligence. And then they're, they're turning around and registering it and reporting back to the SEC. So Profunder has these obligations that it's, it's taking the burden on for the little guy. And normally speaking, things like Kickstarter and, and things like that, where, they, where it's not a security because it's a prize-based system, there's no cash involved mm-hmm. between that goes back to the in, investor. The investor's literally just donating. Mm-hmm. Um, Kickstarter doesn't charge an upfront fee. They charge a percentage of the amount raised. I, I believe that's how Kickstarter works. I haven't been on there in a while. I don't know if they've changed it. Um, but that's how most of these companies work. It's a percentage. So, uh, or there's, they, t- they take money on the spread. So, for example, if, if they're out there um, telling the investors they're going to give them 6%, ProFunder will make 8%, or there's a transaction fee of like three ninety five per month or something like that. They, they, they all work in a different way, but it is very affordable for the little guy who doesn't want to spend say $10,000 on an attorney to write up the documents and go out and raise the money themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've heard the argument made, and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll just get your opinion on it because you know, I'm sure it's, it's, it's all opinion, <laughs> but I've, I, I've heard the argument made that SEC regulations that require these big investments of time and money and legal expertise to go file for exemptions so that you can then be pretty heavily regulated in how you uh, gather money from people that the SEC tells you you can gather money from under certain circumstances was really not were really not put into place to protect the the, the small investor who's got twenty thousand dollars and is just trying to figure out how to get some better return on it than what he can get in a CD but rather was put into place to protect the big companies and the big investors who wanted those opportunities to sort of be limited to themselves. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, um, the, the thing is, um, the, the one thing about crowdfunding, and I, I hope I understand your question or comment correctly, the, the one thing about the crowdfunding is that they are limiting it to $10,000 per investor Per opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm an investor and I have a hundred thousand dollars, I and I go to a crowdfunding portal, I actually can't give any particular project more than ten thousand dollars. Nor can that particular company take more than ten thousand dollars from me. So, it's kind of self, you know, forced diversification, if you will, or forced. Um, suitability standards, even though there's, quote-unquote, no suitability standards. But, you know, that's a good thing. I think, you know, I have one fundraiser right now who is looking to only raise a minimum of $20 per investor. Wow. That's a very specific deal. Yeah, it's a very specific deal. It's it's not, it, it, it it has a charitable aspect to it. So, 
um, people are more likely to give to it, and 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 that's why there's no real suitability standards, um, and why the the threshold is so low. But it can work. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of how it's designed. So this is sort of a this is a, sort of a shift in uh, what has largely been in the case in the past, which is that a lot of government regulations have set m- minimum amounts that people could have or invest that were very high. The the whole accredited investor concept that there are certain things you can't invest in unless you are worth a million bucks, not including your house, and mm-hmm. uh, have at least $200,000 in income. This is actually potentially going to open up opportunities for people who have smaller amounts of money to, to roll the dice if they want to and try and take a higher risk for a higher return. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and and to me, that's what's most important, because I know a lot of people who would love to get into real estate investing and simply, simply, simply cannot because they don't have the amount to put into a private deal or they don't have the income requirements and the net worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, most of these private placements are minimum $25,000, some 50, some 100. There's very few private placements you'll see out there that are less than $25,000. And so sometimes people just don't have the threshold, the pain threshold, to put $25,000 on one deal. They'd rather diversify. And this crowdfunding opportunity will give them that opportunity. But, again, those those rules are not written yet, so nobody can really go out and do anything. So. And so we continue <laughs> to wait. Bitter. I'm not I'm not bitter. <laughs> When we come back, we're going to uh, take some of the email questions that we've been receiving from the audience. If you have questions about the JOBS Act, about raising private money, about what you're hearing here that's telling you you maybe can't do the things that you're already doing, give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to Jillian Sidoti, who is an attorney who does a lot of work with real estate investors and note buyers and tax lien buyers and uh, all all the folks related to those businesses in setting up their companies so that they can legally raise money for their uh, efforts. And, and there's there's tons of different ways to do that. And if you want to go back to the to the podcast on iTunes, Jillian, uh, has walked us through some of those uh, in previous shows. But today, we're talking about the new Jobs Act ruling and what it has to do with you, which is, as it turns out, probably nothing. Now, we have some questions here, Jillian, that came in via email at askvina at gmail.com. And by the way, folks, that's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A, at gmail.com. Uh, this one is from JC in Las Vegas. He says, Jillian, I keep hearing that a four, there's a 45-day rule to establish relationships with prospective investors. <laughs> where did this come from, and is it correct? I know where it came from, and it's a good idea, but it's not necessary. I've never I, I've tried looking for it in the law. I have. I don't I don't hear these things and go blanket wrong, um, and I don't even say that that's blanket wrong. But that is not in a way to establish a pre-existing relationship. Again, the only way you can establish establish a pre-existing relationship is if you have an intimate awareness of one's financial ability to invest. And I know that there's, I, I know where this is coming from, but that is simply not legally true. It's a good idea, but I have not been able to find it in the law. 
and and the original attorney where I've heard it came from, I asked Tim, where in the law is this so I can say, yes, that's a good idea, it's true, it's da-da-da-da-da, was unable to tell me where it is in the law. And I'm not calling anybody out. I'm just telling you this is this is my own due diligence and research that I've, I've done. Um, so, again, 45-day rule, great idea, but it's not the legal step you need to take in order to establish a pre-existing relationship. Mm-hmm. And and let's let's take let's uh, step back and and because it just occurred to me that you know JC clearly uh, has a little bit of knowledge about uh, right. about this thing. What is the importance of a pre-existing relationship period? Well, again, you're not supposed to sell securities if you're a private company, you're not supposed to sell securities to anybody you don't have a pre-existing relationship with. Um, you have got to know who your investor is. That is that is a rule, regardless of what kind of offering you have. You may have an offering that says, I can take 35 unaccredited investors and, and be in the clear, and those 35 investors you know, don't have to have $200,000 in income or a million-dollar net worth. But the bottom line is you still have to know who they are and that they have the financial ability to invest. Somebody with a negative net worth who's barely getting by, who gives you their last $10,000, probably isn't a good investor. They don't have the financial ability to invest. Mm -hmm. And regardless, private securities, regardless of what you think about your own business, are highly speculative and risky. There's no public market on which they can get rid of them. If I buy Facebook stocks, which I did, which is another story, and I'm not going to talk about it right now. <laughs> but if I buy Facebook stock foolishly and then lose money on it, I can go out into the public and sell it, and somebody will buy it because it's a publicly traded company. But if you buy uh, securities in a private company and it goes sideways, where are you going to sell that opportunity? You're probably not. Mm-hmm. There is no market for it. That makes them highly risky, highly speculative, and 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 that is why it is so important for you to establish that pre-existing relationship with your your potential investors. Okay, okay. Now, Cassandra from Dublin, Ohio, has sent an email to askvina at gmail dot com. She says, Jillian, please clarify something for me. I heard you say that we cannot. So publicly solicit potential private lenders, does that mean we cannot get private loans? No, you can. You just have to do it properly. No, you absolutely can. Um, you know, that's how a lot of my clients start off is getting one investor per property. You you can. You still have to go through the same steps. So you have to you have to qualify the investor. And and, and this, this could bring up some really interesting state rules I don't remember what it is in Ohio. I apologize, but the state really governs when it comes down to this stuff because a lot of times what ends up happening is you have this one investor. They're in the same state that you're in, and they want to invest on that one property that you have in the same state. And so you, do, you, you record a deed of trust or a mortgage. Well, the definition of a mortgage is an asset-backed security. So you're selling them a security, and there are risks with that. And so you do have to let them know what those risks are. And you have to give them a promissory note disclaiming, disclosing everything. And you do have to establish a pre-existing relationship. And a matter, as a matter of fact, Vina, I believe you sent me several years ago a company who didn't disclose, didn't get the proper, um, you know, pre-existing relationship going with the potential investor. And they had an investor. There was a company in Ohio that had an investor 
that had had a windfall from an inheritance, but was still renting their their apartment. Mm-hmm. So they had this windfall from an inheritance. Obviously, they didn't really know how to manage money very well. And this company took a good chunk of that inheritance and invested it into the single family flip. Now, they gave the investor proper paperwork, a promissory note that said, hey, this is what you're getting, and this is when you're going to get back, paid back, and this is all, all the terms and conditions, and you're not going to get paid back until the house sells. But they didn't properly qualify that investor, and they also didn't tell her explicitly the risks of investing, that she wasn't going to be able to just get the money back. They didn't tell her that she couldn't sell the promissory note on the open marketplace, things like that. And so she asked for her money back, and they said, no, this is the agreement you signed. We can't give it back to you until we sell the property. Because we don't and have it. <laughs> it's we it's don't have in it, the right. property. And, and, yeah, and so what ends up happening is she doesn't call a lawyer. She doesn't sue them. She doesn't try to resolve it with them. She calls, like, Channel 5 Eyewitness News <laughs> and has, like, the Consumer Beware Department go after this guy and investigate his company and do a whole interview. And so now they're on the news known as the company that scanned this poor little girl out of her inheritance money for this real estate deal. And not only that, that that investigative reporting also led to an investigation by the state securities board in Ohio. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's kind of like for the security board people, it's kind of like where there's smoke, there's fire. So if there's just one quote unquote victim, then there's probably other victims and we've got to protect everybody in Ohio. So again, yes, you can go out and get private lenders for your deals. Can you general solicit for them? No. Do I suggest that you pre-qualify them? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And written disclosure, not just, hey, you know, you could yeah, lose no, your don't money. No, don't just tell them it. <laughs> <laughs> Come and on, that's... Dina, I am a lawyer. I should tell people to put it in writing, huh? And that's, and that's an area in which small real estate investors have fallen down badly and repeatedly. Yeah. Almost since the the whole concept of the of the private loan was was invented, and certainly since it started being taught out into the world, is we want to go to potential private lenders and say, "What a fantastic deal! You're only investing seventy percent of the of the fixed up value of this property, and um, I, I'm experienced, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make you payments, and in six months you'll have your money back, and also even if I got hit by a bus, uh, you just take the property and you get all your money back, so there's no risk. And we don't, because that sounds like a better sales pitch than, um, okay, so let me explain the 21 ways in which you could potentially lose every dime of the investment you're making. But as you said, the reality is whatever you think of your business, things happen. Right. People get sick. Uh, uh, properties are lost to uninsurable issues. Uh, there's there's right. there's certain things you just cannot insure against. And if the property is, is gone and it's a smoking hole in the ground and your insurance company won't pay, how are you going to pay that person back, whether your intention is to do so or not? Uh, things are... Uh, things are discovered about properties after they're purchased that 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 make them deals that that, that you, the real estate investor, are going to lose money and don't have aren't going to have at the end of it the money to fully pay back your investor. So whether you uh, intend to pay these folks back or not, there there are in fact risks. And what we are not being told 
typically from the stage by people trying to sell us courses on how to find private lenders is you must disclose and you must do it in writing. And then there's a, a, a separate piece that you alluded to, which is that individual states also have rules regarding registration of these things, regarding disclosing to the state that you are doing them. And very, very few people uh, are in compliance with their state SEC laws regarding their private loans. So guys, you know, <laughs> we need private money because the, the, just, that's just the way the world is right now. There's not a lot of institutional money out there and there are a lot of good deals. But please bother to educate yourself beyond the hype and the uh, the title of the email that says general solicitation is now okay and do it right. Uh, Jillian, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm sure that we will be doing this once or twice more as new Jobs Act rules <laughs> get written over the next of course of the next few years. Uh, appreciate you a lot, and we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. <music>